Influencer marketing has been a buzzword for a while now, but the effectiveness of influencers has always been a bit suspect. Despite the skepticism, brands have tried to harness the power of influencers, and some agencies are even building their entire proposition on the channel. I'm David Kraft, and this is Start the Scroll. Today, I'm here with Tom Chapman, who's a client partner at Headstream. Hello. And we're also here with Harriet Nicholson. Hello, Harriet. Hello. Harriet is a senior planner with our sister agency, 5 by 5 According to a recent study by uh, a US influencer marketing agency called Linkwa, 76% of marketers cite measurement as the biggest challenge when it comes to influencer marketing as a channel. So why are results from influencers so difficult to measure and how can we hold influencers to account? I think in large part it's a lack of, I mean it's an issue that affects the entire industry generally from a digital point of view and I think generally across platforms lack of standardization in terms of measurement is a problem generally and it's a problem where you've got a media owner who's going to be yeah marking their own homework for kind of one of a better phrase generally anyway so then kind of throw additional influences into the mix that could I mean you just don't know what you're kind of comparing against and I think that's possibly one of the challenges and I think one of the interesting things that I've kind of seen come through is where you try to set up sensible benchmarks kind of across a wider digital ecosystem that includes influencer marketing. So say you have, I don't know, the cost of a completed view. Um, that's where it potentially becomes quite interesting if you can get that kind of level of transparency from your influencer, because then you are starting to be able to compare your sort of digital spend on a like-for-like -like basis. But again, you are very reliant on the influencer being... Mm transparent and kind of being forthcoming on those kinds of metrics as well. Maybe it's sophistication. It could vary by client. So you could have one client that is sophisticated in terms of measuring effectiveness, i.e. putting in place you know, special codes linked to um, video content or um, codes that the actual influencers give out themselves. And how do they track those codes or referrals, etc.? Um, so, I think probably it's down to maybe transparency from the influencer in terms of um, what they can deliver mm. when it comes to engagement and previous um, work where they have shown effectiveness. Either that's you know through purchase, which is probably the ultimate um, goal for most. Um, but equally, yeah. I think personally it's probably also down to the relationship you have with the influence and the sophistication of those marketers or whomever is setting up the campaign to put in place the right tracking um, and ensure that there are at the outset goals, objectives to be met, KPIs um, and then yeah, follow that through with actually measuring it effectively. I think sophistication is it's an interesting one because uh, I was reading another survey, uh, sorry, it was the same survey. It basically said that 90% of marketers are measuring success by, based on engagement rates, but influencers themselves are being a bit more obvious and that 88% of influencers, when they're reporting back to anyone who's paid them for any sponsored content or whatever, they're basically saying, oh yeah, well, it had, it had X number of likes. So it's a case of saying, well, you know, almost... Influencers aren't marketers, they're just people who happen to be really good at 
pushing a certain lifestyle or a certain hobby or interest. So it's maybe a case of, unless you're managed by an, influ you know, an influencer management agency, these guys that you're dealing with might not know how to actually measure their own success. And is it a case of putting it on our industry and saying, well, actually, we need to be better about working with them and almost dictating, no, 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 that's not good enough for me. Here's what we're going to measure and we're going to make sure, you know, we're going to measure ourselves as well. And almost changing that culture of people, you know, all we kind of held, um, not ransom, but held to the influencers because they're the ones with the audience that we're trying to reach. They're the ones calling the shots or is it a case of, yeah. you know, is it a case of, can we change that? I think. Yeah, I'd argue that's a bit of a cop out from an influencer to say that they aren't marketers because essentially that's part yeah. of what mm. they need to do. Mm. It's an important element of who they are and what they do. I.e., you know, if, if they don't understand how to market themselves, which they clearly do, um, and if they are being paid, which most of them are, therefore they have a duty to understand what they are delivering as a return to someone that's paying for a product, i.e. service. And I think also, you know, they're at the forefront of social platforms and social development. So they should equally be at the forefront of social commerce. So, you know, with greater kind of, say, shoppable formats on Instagram, etc. That's opening up a new revenue stream as much for them as it is for brands. Mm. So, you know, you would expect, I guess, perhaps this is kind of your bigger guys potentially versus the micro guys, but still to kind of be pretty well versed in mm. how it's all kind of moving forwards and that kind of level of accountability. Yeah, setting expectations. Yeah. And again, that yeah. comes down to, as we previously mentioned, um, you know, metrics or KPIs, what are, what are the expectations that the brand or um, marketer who's engaging with the influencer wants? But equally, you know, there should be some transparency from mm. the influencer as to, you know, what is the levels of engagement? We know typically that you can almost look at the type of engagement and understand volume in terms of clicks potentially that would lead to wherever you want as a destination. But equally, marketers do know, and there are studies out there that show that the engagement um, does have a direct correlation with purchase and indeed loyalty, because mm. obviously it is like a form of trust, isn't it? Yeah. I guess it, I guess it all comes back to that age-old question of how do you you know, attribute, what's, what's your attribution model for digital yeah. channels? Because mm -hmm. you've got Google saying, oh, we're doing this. And you've got Facebook saying, oh, we've got you know, this model and then they don't marry up and then you've got influencers into the mix. It's like what you were saying, Harriet, about looking at a wider digital ecosystem and okay, how do we, how do we align everything? And it's almost like, it kind of feels like brands need to work it out for themselves mm. in a way. Yep. Because the problem with the digital ecosystem is that it is, largely dependent on brand offering and your audience. And very rarely is there a industry standard benchmark that you can point to and say, that's what we should definitely be achieving. Yeah. And I think most brands, I would say larger brands are pretty much engaged or have used influencers as a tactic within their mix. I mean, looking at charts around sort of when influencers started being introduced around 2010, 11. Um, now we're seeing a, a massive growth or surge in um, brands engaging with influencers. So I'd argue that uh, 
pretty much the majority of marketers at a certain level with you know with um, experience with a certain number of brands or type of brands would have already engaged with influencers and should almost have or indeed have an idea of how to yeah get the most and the best out of them but there is a danger where you've got um brands who kind of think of influencers sort of the next shiny thing that they should have on a plan without thinking about the whole kind of marketing mix and equally with some of the brands that we've worked with we've had situations where there are loads of influencers being engaged but they're being engaged through different teams that aren't necessarily syncing up so PR have their own influencers global have their own influencers you know UK domestic markets have their own influencers the influencers who've been kind of brought in through the media agency or the social media agency or creative agency so I think there's equally you know sometimes it's a bit scattergun Mm. and that's probably where it becomes really difficult for brands to set those sensible kind of KPIs and metrics and say okay look we're all working to this kind of standard Um, so I think there also needs to be kind of a general sort of thought process from brands and it's it's probably incumbent on us agencies as well to just be like okay slow down what are you trying to achieve okay let's be kind of smart on how we do this and make sure everything's kind of be laddering up to those overall objectives and we're measuring in a smart way I think the Scaragon approach is an interesting one because the term influencer is quite broad and when you say influencer, some people think of Zoella, some people think of David Beckham, some people think of their friend Mike who has a thousand followers on Instagram and you know there are different levels of influencers but it's kind of making sure well, what is an influencer, there's not even a standard definition mm-hmm. that everyone because even when I was looking through some different stuff and prep for this podcast, you know, one one um, one thing that I saw was saying, "Oh, a micro influencer is anyone from a, who has a th- from a thousand up to a million uh, social followers." That's quite a broad. That is incredibly <laughs> broad, and that's that's the problem is that it doesn't. You're like, okay, well, you know, in that case, Zoella. Well, Zoella, I don't, you know, I don't know what her current follower count is at time so she's definitely an influencer she's definitely more than a million she has been for years but there's other people who you'd say they're going to charge you 50 grand for however much um, of their time to produce however many pieces of content but they might not have over a million followers yet but they're still going to charge loads they're still going to consider themselves an influencer so you know I guess the thing is what defines an influencer and then maybe a bit more specifically is when is an influencer just an, just a celebrity who happens to get their fame from the internet rather than from sport or TV mm. or music. Yeah. I think there's also um, remarkable discrepancies between influencers, even of the same size, but in different niches. Um, and, and actually, there's not necessarily a kind of correlation between... So, I mean, you know, fashion influencers have kind of been ahead of the game for a while. No to kind of be able to charge retailers sort of through the roof for their kind of services. But, I mean, for instance, tech um, influencers were slower off the mark in order, you know, and actually you'd look at, say, very comparable influencers in terms of size, but in terms of, like, prices that they were charging, mm. definitely yeah. used to kind of be really, you know, considerable discrepancies. Um, I guess, you know, the question of when is a celebrity an influencer or when is an influencer a celebrity, it... it I mean, there's, you know, from a kind of a Venn diagram perspective, yeah. there's so much overlap in yeah. the middle. And equally, the definition of celebrity has now been completely changed. And 
who, you know, someone under the age of 24 considers to be a celebrity, we yeah. might be determining a social media influencer. It, yeah, know, yeah. That, I think it's just such murky definitions yeah. now. Yeah, I'll say some of them are interchangeable, aren't they? Because mm. Zoella, when she first began, started out building an audience and therefore had influence. But now, I mean, she's incredibly wealthy and therefore she's also got fame, not just through her channel and audience that she's built on YouTube, for example, but, you know, she's in bookshops mm. and has been on the news and television, etc. And therefore, by definition, she's almost entered the realm of celebrity mm-hmm. because she's generated a lot of wealth from it, but also a lot of recognition beyond her audience, I suppose, which is, you know, a celebrity would be like a David Beckham or a, yeah. you know, a, a movie star. Um, but brands have been using celebrities to, you know, hawk their products for decades. Um, I suppose the difference would be that maybe an influencer from a marketing point of view um, or an influencer in its true sense is someone that truly speaks to an audience and almost has an interest or a passion about something Mm. that your audience also engages with, i.e., you know, Leonardo DiCaprio advertising a, a tag... Um, yeah, okay, that's a celebrity with a product, but if you're interested in horology and watches, um, that doesn't mean anything. Whereas an influencer who has a following who dissects Swiss watches or things like that would talk to that audience yeah. more and therefore would be, have more influence than a celebrity. But, but they are interchangeable, yeah. The thing that keeps popping up is trusted referrals from peers. And when I look at it, I say, well, okay, someone who's a complete stranger who has 3 million subscribers on YouTube is not really my peer, are they? I mean, you know, I think that's, that's kind of what you're saying is that's where celebrity endorsement appeals to the mass market and you've got this, you know, these niche audiences who are a bit, you know, yeah, you're still talking about watches, but it's from a completely different angle. And they're going to trust this guy more than this guy who's clearly just been paid to tell you about it. But I think that's kind of the thing is you're sitting here talking about influencers and you're saying when the line's murky between influencer and celebrity, and I guess it's how you use that Mm. influencer. So maybe it's some of these, some of the broader general lifestyle influencers that you see on YouTube that you're kind of like, okay, maybe you're... And perhaps it depends on... The marketing objective, because mass awareness, you lo- exactly. use a celebrity for mass, but you may say, right, in tandem, we will employ an influencer strategy in order to meet a certain tribe or subset of our consumers that would speak directly to their passion points, as opposed to this one, you know, guiding star who they've paid a lot of money to. Mm. I think it does depend, and this comes down to your point earlier, Harry, more about. Um, actually using influences in the right way for the right reason as opposed to just so oh, we need some influences and for why I think it's quite interesting around the peers point because again with you know I don't know seeing George Clooney on an espresso ad yeah he does not feel like your peer <laughs> at any stage but um, you know kind of on the flip side you see sort of especially in kind of really interesting niches that have sort of yet to be sort of tapped into, I feel like, from brands. So one of them that we've been sort of noticing is, um, this sounds really strange, but uh, but plumbers. Mm. Um, 
are hugely vocal online, massive sense of online community, huge amounts of knowledge sharing, and you have these kind of uh, sort of pseudo-celebrity types within the plumbing world who are very, very influential and actually can, you know, getting some pretty serious kind of views from a YouTube point of view. Um, but they feel like peers, you know, actually mm. that feels, it has more integrity because you can see, okay, this has not been sponsored by mm. a brand yet, it's only a matter of time, but, you know, brands are yet to kind of tap into that. Um, but it does feel like actually, you know, this is a knowledge share and it's just useful and helpful and yeah, yeah. it can be entertaining as well. But, you know, yeah, we're doing watch- each other a service. Yeah, yeah, you're watching someone that actually understands how to do the job that you do as opposed to Nick Knowles who might sort of go, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> have a go, but doesn't really actually know the terminology and never been through plumbing school, for example. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. But I guess, I guess kind of going back to what you were saying a minute ago about... You know, it comes down to what you what you really want out of it. Because if you want reach, then yeah, you go with someone big. Mm. If you want to really build a relationship with this audience or maybe a tribe because they behave more like a, a community, um, yeah, definitely. But is it a case of brands not necessarily seeing influencers? Maybe it's how agencies are managing influencers and sometimes taking that traditional PR approach of we're just going to drop some product in your lap and if you can mention us that's great and or we'll write we'll even write some tweets for you and you know that kind of thing is it is a case of maybe even though influencers have been around for a while we're all kind of guilty of not necessarily making the most of the relationships with influencers in a in the best possible way which is why these plumbers are probably not being hit up (laughs) by the right kind of brands but there's massive opportunity and missed opportunity there whereas the brands you should be going after plumbers might be going after you know people with a bit more internet celebrity status if that makes sense yeah i think it goes down or um it it comes down to perhaps marketers rather than doing a one-off um sort of quick campaign building relationships with an influence or a trusted relationship are you going back to the you know the plumbers example um but actually, you know, if you've got a product that you want to get in front of the plumbing audience, um, doing it once is probably not the best, the best way because it's still a branding exercise. It's still a, an exercise of, you know, repeat messaging. And if you could perhaps work with one of these influencers on a longer term basis and get them to talk about your product and use your product in a more natural way as opposed to a quick one-off, hey, I've just been sent this product and this is a great wrench in order to use, you know, on your pipe sort of thing. Brilliant. But if he's, you know, throughout the year, he or she throughout the year is, you know, has this wrench and uses it in different scenarios, oh, look, you know, there's that handy wrench again I've been using and actually it's becoming really helpful, then it almost becomes more authentic anyway because you're actually part of their repertoire and, the influence is genuine as opposed to just going, hey, great, I've actually got a free product. Guys, why don't you just get it because this is just keeping my influ- uh, my views going because I'm getting paid for it. There is a trade-off. There yeah. is a balance, I think, that needs to be struck. I think as, as agencies, we can sometimes be guilty of thinking from campaign to campaign. And I think similarly, you know, generally with the marketers that we work with as well, because, I mean, let's face it, you know, BAU is never as fun as the big kind of shiny campaign. And I think that kind of affects in a number of different ways. One, maybe we're not as good at kind of changing the agency model. So 
for instance, PR's always existed a similar way. Okay, now let's just bring in influencers into that mix uh, from that kind of point of view, rather than thinking actually, no, let's change this and behave in a slightly different way because this isn't the same. It's not e immediately comparable. But that equally applies to kind of what you're saying from, yeah, the power of, of effective influencer relationships is that long-term behaviour, but actually the way that we sometimes operate is not to think in terms of those long-term relationships, but instead to think, right, well, what's going to, you know, drive this yeah. reach at this point in this time of year and how do we kind of throw everything at it and use our budgets in that way to support that, that And point. there are many different tactics that can be used to achieve the strategy with influencers. Mm -hmm. So one good example is um, Daniel Wellington, you know, watches, and I don't know if you know, but that they're sort of in shops and jewellery shops now, but they were sort of unheard of. However, they were pretty much built around an influencer strategy where they obviously built longer term relationships with sort of fashion and um, uh, yeah, influencers within that industry and gave them you know the latest models of watches. So they had that long campaign um, view or approach to mm. an influencer strategy. But also they saturated the market as well because they use micro-influencers and say, hey, you know, we can also reach many other people this way too. Um, so I think it all depends on, yeah, you know, how sophisticated the strategy mm. is and um, how much product you want to give away and how much money you can put behind it. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, you know, I mean, I think back to five, six years ago when, when I first started working with influencers and with clients saying, yeah, but I don't want to pay them anything because that's not the point. <laughs> the point is yeah. we give them something. They fall in love with our brand and they tell everyone who follows them on Twitter, Instagram, well, it wouldn't have been Instagram back then, but on Twitter, why they love us so much. And they do this over and over again. But in reality, what happened is you'd give them something, they would tweet and say, oh, thanks to X brand for sending this. And that was it. Unless they you know, one in a hundred, they did fall in love with your brand. But because they started getting so much, they started to expect it. And the next thing you know, they wanted money as well. And then brands were like, but I don't want to pay. But I mean, I guess it's kind of, okay, well, how serious are you about your influencer strategy? It's not a one-off. It's not a, we're launching this new product, so let's give 500 units out to these social media influencers. It's building those relationships, which I think, you know, we were talking about yesterday when we were catching up about this more about that relationship and not about, oh, here you go, guys, you've never heard of us before, mm. but would, would you mind doing a few Instagram posts about this? I think equally, it, that's where you see sort of the kind of innovation and, and changing kind of marketing models coming in. You know, you're more enterprising brands and you see it with some really amazing kind of emerging beauty brands are seeing this, okay, actually, this is, this is a collaboration effort in mm. partnership with... An influencer or this is taking an existing influencer and giving them kind of a, a, a product and a platform in which to work and we can be smart about it but it requires a leap of faith it requires that long-term view and it also yeah requires just kind of a different way of thinking about it from a commercial point of view and just being much much mm -hmm. kind of smarter and going kind of all in on your influencer strategy rather than just being like hey here's some freebies let's yeah, hope yeah. for the best well I think it's really interesting when you see brands collaborate with influencers and give the influencers not just, the influencers aren't just giving the brand the platform and access to an audience, because let's be honest, we can buy audience, we're really good at buying audiences, 
but it's buying that trust. But I think when an influencer and a brand really collaborate and the brand says to the influencer, we think you're really cool, we think you're really great, let's think outside the box and maybe together we can do something that we couldn't do on our own, you couldn't do on your own, and then make something really amazing happen. Um, that, that's when I think it, it really works. And, and I think that's what essentially you guys have been saying is, well, it's, it's about how much you want to invest and how much you really want to add to, to this. Yeah, I'm sure there's sophisticated brands with their influence on marketing strategy that have allocated that, for want of a better word, media budget to pay for influencers. Um, but they may also have someone working to discover up-and-coming influencers mm. that aren't demanding yeah. such amount of money and you will see brands that benefit from someone who has a breakthrough and suddenly builds yeah. a massive audience because they hit a popularity or a tipping point and that brand that has worked with them to begin with will experience the benefits whereas other brands will then have to pay for that privilege yeah so I think it sort of swings and roundabouts as well I think it'd be really interesting to see what happens with brands in kind of like a post GDPR world where because yeah, you're right, we have been really good at buying audiences, but now buying those audiences is going to be more challenging. Um, so, you know, you could have, saying a lazier brand is a mean term, but you know, the quick kind of fix solution is thinking, oh God, here's my paid social budget. Actually now, let's just siphon a whole chunk of that off and put it into influence instead, because that's going to get me my views and my reach and whatever other kind of metrics I'm after um, in this kind of world where I'm just trying to figure out actually how I kind of buy my audiences in the same way as I sort of did in this sort of halcyon days before May. You know, so I think what you could then have is a whole load of brands jumping onto the influencer wagon, potentially pushing up prices of, of influencers and potentially creating an even kind of messier world that we all had to sort of muddle our yeah. way through before Bigger coming bubble. out the other side. Yeah, especially when, you know, let's say it is challenging for brands to get cut through in a news feed if Facebook are saying yeah. they're giving more priority to friends, etc. So I've got to pay and therefore you would then look at what is the cost benefit of buying Facebook ads as opposed to buying or reaching a similar audience through influencers, yeah. one of which is ad, and one of which is using an influencer's own creative, etc., in order to reach the same audience, which is why, I mean, there's some recent articles, I think, on TechCrunch, um, Facebook launching their own influencer platform so that they're almost encouraging brands to discover influencers in pages within Facebook to work with so that they can almost co-create ads so that they can encourage brands to purchase more of that and because yeah. Instagram's already doing it because that's the platform for influencers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is one of the things about Facebook and kind of, we've, we've kind of had an eye on it. I mean, people talk about Facebook is going downhill. You know, Facebook has been hit pretty hard with, you know, the well-documented controversies over the last, well, longer than six months, over the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, but what we see when we look at the stats that come out of GWI and you know, those sort of platforms, actually Facebook is kind of maintaining. Um, it's just the way people use Facebook is changing. But one thing that I've never really identified with Facebook is it's not really an influencer platform like Instagram, like YouTube. So it will be interesting. I mean, don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but it will be really interesting to see 
does this work for Facebook? Are they able to, to claw some of that share of the influencer yeah. um, reach, influencer community back onto their own platform? Because you know, it's it's easier to, to be an influencer on YouTube. Mm. It's easy to be an influencer on Instagram. It's easy to be discovered. So. Yeah. I mean, their argument could be that um, with working with influencers, technically, even though an influencer would have a large subscriber base on YouTube, they still have an Instagram feed. They yeah. still have a Facebook page because um, they're using their channels. goes back to, you know, let's face it, they, they yeah. do understand marketing because they're marketing themselves. Yeah. So therefore, um, yeah, are there opportunities to reach the same audience, maybe not as big, um, on some of these other channels that might not cost as much by reaching them through their main subscribe, the channel, etc. So, yeah, interesting. So we've covered loads today. I think this is going to be a long, long podcast, long episode, stop the scroll. Um, but that's okay, because I think it's all been really valuable. So... Uh, thanks, Tom, and thanks, Harriet, for sitting no down problem. and chatting through all this stuff. Pleasure. Very insightful. Sure.